Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Today's sermon passage will be from Mark 5:21 to 34. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Thanks, Natalie. You can be seated. How are we doing this morning, church? All right. This morning I want to talk to you uh, about maybe missing a moment this week. Uh, for some of you, you may have missed this moment on the way of uh, taking kids to school. For some of you, you may have missed this moment in the hallway of work. You have, may have missed it on your way to the gym. You may have missed it in the normal every day today. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I did not miss this moment because I did not go to the gym this week, okay? And that is understandable. But I still believe that you may have missed the moment. And if you've missed it before, I want to emphasize something to you. If you've missed it, it's okay because we all miss it. Because it comes to you in the form of a very mundane question. And many of you are so used to this question that actually you have a mundane default answer to it. I'm going to reveal your cards and show you what some of your answers are. For some of you, you answer this question this way. You say, I'm fine. You say, I'm good. You say, I'm busy. You say, same old, same old. As a matter of fact, I don't know if people say same old, same old anymore. I'm just an old soul, okay? Same old, same old. And then my last one, the favorite, uh, I was fine until you asked, okay? All of you have a default response to this question. Do we have a guess what that question may be? How are you? Someone was here from first service. They're cheating. How are you doing? If you are tired of this question, if you are bored 
with this question. If this question feels insignificant to you this morning, I have an invitation with a passage from the Bible that is a moment that you have got to hear. If you want to go ahead and turn to the text that Natalie just had, that's going to be in Mark 5. If you're new to faith or maybe you don't know your way around the Bible very much, uh, you can go to the table of contents and you can look where you see Matthew. Mark is right after that. It'll be about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. We have been in a series that we launched last week called In the Moment. And with this series, what we're trying to do is we're trying to talk about how you can expect to run into God into the unexpected moments of life. Your messy, your mundane, your seemingly meaningless moments of life could actually be something very significant with God. The key is, can we take a moment to actually see when those moments happen? Now, the writer that you're going to read this morning, Mark, he is going to tell you about the teachings and life of Jesus in a specific angle. Mark wants you to know that Jesus is not who you expect him to be. And one of the ways that Jesus is not the way you expect Jesus to be is that Jesus brings two people who would be unexpected to be side by side. He actually brings them together. You have Jairus. Jairus in the day would have been the religious elite, okay? He would have been the well-known. He would have been the social class that everyone looked forward to. He was the, let me put it this way, he was the Ted Lasso of the day, okay? You couldn't help but just love him, okay? And then next to him, you have someone that in the society of this day would be socially shamed to even be inside the town. Scripture is so descriptive that it doesn't even give this woman who is on the margins a name. You have someone that everyone would want to know, and you have someone that no one would know. And Jesus brings them together. Now, what brings them together is what brings all of us together. Each of them coming together have a moment of pain or sorrow or grief. One of the things I would like to echo on behalf of this church today is if you sit around and you look at the people around you and you wonder, I don't know if I really relate to the people who are around me. One of the things I hope that you find as a comfort is that we all relate coming through these doors. Even though you may not see it on the outside, all of us come in here with some form of pain or burden or sorrow or grief that comes into our lives. We all have it. A matter of fact, every week, us come, I mean, we just open the doors and people come. Every week, people show up here you are saying with your body and your presence that my world is not okay. And it is okay for people to gather and say that we are not okay because this is the place where Jesus is bringing us all together. And in this moment, he brings two different people together at the same time. Completely different places in life, but same ache of life at the same time. Now, it wouldn't have been okay to do this socially, right? If you followed Mark all the way up to Mark 5, you would know that Jesus and the synagogue leaders are not on the same page, okay? So for Jairus to do this would, in essence, be putting him in jeopardy with all of his colleagues. And then on the other side, 
because of the law of the day. With this woman with the chronic illness that she has, she would experience social shame for even showing up in the inner parts of the town. And both of them experienced a form of social distancing. That's what happens with pain, right? Like when we experience something that's unique to us, that's heavy, that's hard, that's difficult, it puts social distance in between us and everyone else. Haven't you experienced this before? Worship songs that used to hit you in one way now don't resonate with you the same way. Friends that you absolutely love when you talk about life, you just don't feel like they relate to you anymore. And if you've ever felt social distance in between the pain or the experience that you feel, I have a diagnosis for you this morning. It's called being normal. Uh, one of my family members was telling me a couple of weeks ago, she was telling me that <laughs> she, has, she has stopped telling people when she feels sad to other people. She's like, I'm just done with it. And I said, well, what do you do instead? And she says, well, I don't tell people about being sad anymore. Instead, I tell my Echo Dot Alexa that I'm feeling sad. I said, okay. Well, what's that like? Well, she said, well, here's, here was the example. The other week she walked in and she goes, <clears throat> Alexa, I'm so sad today. And Alexa goes, I'm sorry you're feeling sad. Looking up counselors in your area. <laughs> Alexa, stop. Searching for books on depression. Alexa, stop. Searching for meaningful harm, Hallmark movies. Alexa, and she just took it and unplugged Alexa. Even Alexa doesn't understand that sometimes in our pain and hardship, we don't need solutions. We just need shoulders. This is a word to all my fixers out there today. Sometimes we do not need solutions. We just need to be heard. We need people who are in our lives that can hear us and that can actually turn towards us. That we can relate to. Now when we feel distanced, there is always going to be a temptation in our lives. There's going to be a temptation to actually push more distance in between us and someone else. But the interesting thing about this story is the opposite happens. These two people that come to Jesus actually open themselves up. In the moments of pain, hurt, or grief, there's an opportunity. An opportunity that when you are not fine or when you are not good, there's an opportunity to reach deeper, to find something. And both of them find something in this moment. They open themselves up. Now, the way that the woman reaches out to Jesus should be very intriguing for us and very meaningful to us because this woman thinks, if I can just touch his clothes. Now, we're not entirely sure, but one thing to note about this is a lot of people think that this woman reaching out to Jesus is actually superstitious. That she's reaching out and hoping maybe that she can just touch the clothes and maybe that will be a thing for her. And here's the most beautiful part about Jesus. This is good news for us to hear. Is that it is not the way that you reach out to Jesus, but it is your willingness to reach out to Jesus that matters. 
that she is actually healed in this moment. Jesus gives you a microcosm of what relationship with God is like in the midst of your hurt and pain. God turns towards you. God seeks your name to be associated with that pain. God seeks you out. And Jesus does not let off in knowing who it was that touched him and received healing. Now, when Jesus doesn't let this go, I want you to look very closely at the text because there's a very interesting way that Mark gives it to you here. He says it this way in verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. If Mark's trying to paint for you what faith looks like, it's the whole truth. Bringing your whole self, being honest with yourself, being vocal of what the pain is that you have in your life and the desire for God, putting yourself out there is a form of faith. It is bringing the whole self there. That she comes and she is genuine with Jesus. Now we've said we are a church that desires to be genuine with one another. And if you hear that and you go, I think that's great. I just don't know what the first step of that is. This is the first step. That to be genuine is to bring the whole truth of your whole self to God. If we do it with God, then we learn how to do it with others. Now, speaking of others, in this moment, do not forget, this moment isn't just about the woman with the chronic illness. This is also the moment of the story of Jairus. Now, for any parent that is in the room right now, this story should perturb you a little bit. Because if you could imagine, this is not a moment of just intervention. If you're a parent and you are in Jairus' position, this is a moment of inconvenience. You are waiting for Jesus to answer this. And he has stopped to talk and to heal someone else. And here's where Mark picks it up. If you've got your Bible open, we're going to start in verse 35. So while Jesus was still speaking, some of the people from the house of Jairus and the synagogue leader came to him and said, Sir, your daughter is dead. So why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, Jesus didn't let anyone follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing, and he went in and he said to them, Why all the commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up, began to walk around, and she was 12 years old. And by this, they were accomplished. Now, I don't want us to miss the weight of this story. We want to rush so quickly to what Jesus does in the private room. But one of the things that we have to feel the weight of with this story 
is that Jairus doesn't get what he hopes for. That he waits on Jesus and he does not receive what he desires. I remember sitting with someone when I read this text that was considering the Christian faith. And as I was reading this passage with them, a question comes up in this moment that I think is a valid question, maybe a question that you're actually asking. How come Jesus doesn't heal the way that he heals in other times with other people? And a matter of fact, let's go a little bit further. Why does Jesus not heal everyone that Jesus comes in contact with? And I think that's a very reasonable question to ask. And one of the things we have to remember as we come to the Bible is that we're coming with questions to the Bible. But the writers of Scripture and the library of Scripture, they are coming with their own questions. And they're answering a different question. Mark isn't answering the question of why does Jesus heal some and not heal others. Mark is coming to answer the question, what kind of healing does Jesus bring? And the message of Mark in this moment is to say that the healing of God is on the way, but it is immediate in some ways, and it is in the future for other ways, and it is after death for others in other ways. That there is a message of God, the word is resurrection, the message is that healing is on the way, but healing is not always the way that we imagine it. That happens in different forms and different ways. Sometimes we read that word healing in the text and we think too straightforward about it. In our society where we are so success driven, where we just assume that healing is just completely back to the same way that we were before, the word that's actually used in this text for healing is the same root word that comes from saved or rescued. So when Jesus says this to the woman, he's saying your faith has rescued you. That you've entered into something deeper and meaningful and longer lasting. That is the type of healing that is talked about. Which is hard for us to get our minds around sometimes. Especially in the moments where pain is happening. Here's how one writer put it that I think is so helpful. Here's how Kate Burrow said it. What would it mean for Christians to give up a little piece of the American dream that says you are limitless? Everything right now is not possible. The mighty kingdom of God is not fully here yet. What if rich did not have to mean wealthy? Whole did not have to mean healed. What if being people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news? What's that good news? It's this, that God is here, we are loved, and that is enough. As people of hope, Sometimes I think we really struggle in the midst of pain because we feel very uncomfortable that we start to tell people things like, well, maybe God is wanting you to know something in particular or figure out something. Or we try to explain why this pain is happening in someone's world. And the thing that we have to remember is that the kingdom, the good news of God, is one that is different than any other news that's out there. So for the people of God, sometimes what it means is healing isn't always what we think it means. Instead, what we are is we're people who we cry out when pain hurts. 
that we're honest about how wrong it feels in the world. And then we wait for what Jesus has shown us with the raising of the daughter. We wait for that for all of humanity. We don't explain pain away. We don't try to justify it. We name what it is because Jesus names what it is. We talk about how the kingdom of God rescues us. And this is why it's so important for us to be able to do this. You know, when Jairus goes through this experience, he is just watched as Jesus has healed someone. Now, actually, look at the news that Jesus responds to in the midst of this bad news, okay? When Jesus overhears what they say, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Just believe. Is that helpful to you? Have you ever had someone tell you not to worry while you're worried? How'd that work out for you? It didn't. Let me try to show you what this word could mean if you got to see it in the original language of how it would come off. Here's the way in the tense that this would be read in Scripture that it would come off. Don't be afraid. Just keep believing. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't forget what you just saw in front of you. Don't forget what my kingdom is doing. Don't forget that there's something larger and bigger happening right now. That is his response, is keep believing. And this is why it's so important that we are people that reach deep in hard moments of life, in our pain, in our suffering, in the things that we're grieving. This is why we share how we're doing with other people. Because it matters. It not only makes us ask, what are the things that we need to bring up to God, but it also helps us in hearing how God is working in other people's lives at the same time. And it helps us remember that God is at work. We're in a time of disconnection right now. I think we all feel the wave of that because of COVID. And one of the temptations that we will have is to be people that don't ask each other how we are doing, or we do not check up on each other as much. And each time you answer the mundane question of how you're doing with the mundane answer of it's good, it's fine, you may be missing a moment to be able to hear what God is doing in someone else's life or to know maybe what God may be doing in your own life. It's how we run into God. Can I tell you about a rule in my family? We had a rule in my family growing up about church. We, we were people that went to church, okay? That, we, were, we were good. We, we went, we went, we did it. And uh, we just had a rule in my family. <clears throat> and the rule was this. Uh, we don't share, okay? So our rule when going to church was, if it's an event where we don't have to share, we will be there, okay? But if there's sharing involved, we will not be there, okay? If you're hosting a worship service, awesome. We will be, I love singing words out loud. Love it. We'll do it. My family would be there. Reading the word, to, absolutely. You want to read the Bible? You want to talk about history? You want to talk about words and diction? Oh, absolutely. Hey, we're going to get in a circle and share how we're doing. Mm -mm. You won't find the witchers there whatsoever. 
I don't need to share what's going on in my own life. What are we doing here? And it's a funny running joke that my family still has, is that at one point we had to mature to a place to be like, part of the deal with this, part of this faith process is, is sharing. Like that is part of this journey. And even though that may have been a rule for my family at one point in one time, I want to invite you that this is a family where we do answer the question, how are we doing with one another? That we actually speak to what God is doing in our lives. That we actually tell people what is going on because we know that it matters. It can create a meaningful moment and we don't even expect it. We just have to enter into it in a way than how we differently respond. <clears throat> now, in me saying we should be people that answer the question, how are we doing? I need to make two small notes really fast. I need to talk to those of you in the room who are skeptical of this. And I also need to talk to those of you in the room who have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. Okay? Let me talk to those who have the spiritual gift of sarcasm first. The answer is no. No, I am not telling you that you need to unload your life on every single person who asks you how you are doing. Okay, I'm not, don't nuance me that far. You do not have to tell the guy that's checking you out at Luby's what your life story is. Now, if you are still going to Luby's, I do want to talk to you after service about that decision. Okay, okay. But, I'm not saying, I'm not telling you, you have to unload with everyone. Here's the question that I am asking you. Do you have a rhythm with people? that you are being asked how you are doing, and do you have a group of people that are responsible that you are also asking them how you are doing? Do you have some people that you don't just talk weather, sports, and family about, but you get into the nitty-gritty of life? Because those are the people that are going to help you find meaningful moments with God. If anything else, bottom shelf level for why church matters. There's so many good reasons. This is just one. Church is the weekly rhythm of you being asked how you are doing and also you the practice of asking other people how they are doing. It matters. Now let me speak to those of you who are skeptical in the room. For those of you who hear this and you hmm, that you're a little bit skeptical about really opening up. I just want to tell you that I think if you have that reaction, I think it's valid. Maybe you opened up at one point in your life and someone said something very hurtful to you or described God in a way that was inaccurate and it was harmful to you. And if that happened, I just want you to hear me say as one person representing the faith community that they should have never said that thing to you in the first place. And I'm sorry that they did. At the same time, I'm also not going to say that if you come to this church, that we as people who are messy and have our own pain, that sometimes when you mix those experiences together, it gets messy. And sometimes we're not the best at it. And we're going to try to be the best at it, but we're not always going to be perfect at it. But one of the things that I want to make sure that we remember is that there's discernment in talking 
in revealing the whole self. The whole self does not have to come in one sitting. You can slowly give it out over time and trust. And I hope you have a place where you can trust your life being told. That you can say what the hurt, the heartache, and the difficult points are. And just from a, just from a believer standpoint, if you're not in a place in life where you're ever answering the question, how are you, in a very real way, I would actually argue sometimes you're missing an opportunity to share what your faith is. Like, sometimes I find it, you know, we talk about faith of like, hey, I believe in Jesus. I would love for you to believe in Jesus. Would you mind sitting down and having coffee with me for us to talk about Jesus? You can go that way. But I find it's very organic sometimes for someone to ask me how I'm doing, and actually, I just use that as a moment to reveal what God is doing in my life to just be able to say what my values are. Sometimes that's a way easier way to just talk about God in your life. I understand the skepticism, but I also want to invite you to slowly work with trust of having some people that you answer the question, how are you, with. Okay, some of you aren't buying, so let me go one more route with this, okay? Stats would tell you this, that over your day, you have, on average about 12 conversations, okay? If you're not having 12 conversations, please come see me after service because you're living an introvert life and I want to know how to do that, okay? (laughs) Okay. On average, you will have 12 conversations throughout your day. You will be asked the question, how are you doing? Possibly 12 times within your day. Statisticians would actually tell you that if you live a full life, don't get in the nitty-gritty about full life, basically if you don't eat bacon every day and you don't have a round rock donut every day, you will on average have 400,000 conversations in your entire lifetime. Here's my question to you this morning. Do you really want 400,000 conversations of I'm good, I'm fine, same old, same old. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a life that's dynamic. That doesn't sound like a life to the fullest. That doesn't sound like a life where you could be running into moments with God for 400,000 conversations. Here's my charge for you this week. My charge for you is to look for moments where you could find yourself opening up and answering the question, how are you, in a different way. When we actually reach out to one another and reach deep in telling who we are, we may just run into some meaningful moments with God that we don't even know may be there. If you weren't here with us last week, we actually passed out a card that you can pick up in the back over on that table. It's just an in-the-moment card, and it is just this really simple card that has a prayer in the back. And I would encourage you, take the card, put it somewhere that's visible, and just pray the simple prayer as you start your day and see if you may run into a meaningful moment with God.